Welcome to Hard Currency, the foreign exchange podcast from the Financial Times, in which we examine the big currency moves and developments over the week. I'm Roger Blitz, and what a forex week it's been. The dollar heading down, down, down on the back of an American double whammy. Trade battles starting to hot up, and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin has torn up 25 years of strong dollar policy by saying, actually, the US would benefit from a weaker currency. And a fast-weakening dollar is, of course, causing some stonking new highs for the likes of the euro, the yen and sterling. But do some of these levels look a bit overdone? And has Mr Mnuchin set off a new phase of currency wars that other countries have any chance of winning? Well, with me to discuss these things is Tim Gruff, head of macro strategy for EMEA at State Street. Tim, your thoughts on the Mnuchin comments, how significant are they and is the reaction of the foreign exchange market entirely understandable? It's certainly understandable because I do think this does represent a new chapter in US trade policy. I think it represents a very well-timed political move. It's, of course, coming on the back of tax cuts in the U.S., which is being perceived by markets as a pretty good win for the economy and for financial markets as a consequence. And we're ahead of the midterm election cycle and then in a couple of years' time, the presidential election cycle, where a weaker dollar will certainly help the trade channels. And the relationship between the dollar and risky assets probably means a lot of the financial market moves you've seen in the past year, year and a half, will continue. So I think it's a very pointed, very well-timed comment. And I do think it represents a a, a new chapter in this ongoing Trump administration's uh, approach to challenging the old rules of the global trade order. Yes, it's come at a time of the year, we've only just started the year, but the dollar was already weak and people couldn't understand that. And in a sense, you know, those questions of why was it weakening in the face of this great global growth, very strong US Fed tightening, the tax cut, it's almost like that discussion has so quickly been parked and we're now focusing on Mnuchin. Yes. And it's, I think, quite adequately parked because the Fed is largely priced for this year, not fully priced, but it's not going to take much to price what the Fed is telling us they're going to do for this year. Um, Tax cuts, the impact that they're having on inflation expectations has been pretty muted. The rise in inflation expectations has really, I think, mostly been down to oil prices. And so you're left then with the dollar, which is behaving, I think, really already in kind of classic mid to late Fed hiking cycle fashion, where it starts to weaken once you get the bulk of the Fed's activity priced in or close to priced in. Uh, And then you have the other central banks around the world catching up. So that in and of itself isn't surprising. And then you have this administration's approach to trade, whether it's raising tariffs on various goods, as they have done this week, uh, talking, you know, in, in quite heated rhetoric against some of their trade competitors, and now introducing this currency aspect, which as you noted, has been a direct challenge to the order of U.S. currency policy for a long time. Now, they will always say, as Mnuchin did, that longer term, you know, the U.S. likes to maintain a strong dollar policy to, to show confidence in its yeah. economy and in its markets. But right now, it's a big trade weapon. But right now, certainly, yeah. in, in, in an election year for the Republicans, it certainly is a trade weapon, I yeah, think. Yeah, that's an interesting point that how long does do these policies, ca- can the U.S. maintain them until they start to hurt? I mean, on trade battles. There's a lot of talk about how many jobs might be at stake if some of these trade treaties are ripped up. But on the weak dollar, is it all win-win for, for the US? 
in the short term, it's 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 not probably a bad thing. In the long term, though, the risk you introduce is rising inflation, yeah. and imports the start going import up. prices start to go up. Um, the U.S. relative to other economies is relatively closed, but it isn't completely closed, mm. and the Fed might have to start thinking about that if this becomes quite a disorderly I dollar. I thought we liked appreciate. rising inflation. <laughs> we probably do to a certain degree, but you don't like it no, to the extent that yeah. you have to get short-term interest rates pushed up very aggressively, particularly moving short-term real interest rates well above zero faster than people anticipate, because then you introduce some disruption, I think, to, to asset markets, which nobody really wants to see, but what you might have to think about in the coming six to 12 months. So very strong advantages for the US. So how to retaliate against this? Mario Draghi, European mm-hmm. Central Bank President, and talked about how, actually, Mr. Manishas, you shouldn't really be talking about currency manipulation. We, we agreed all this in Washington in 2017. So there's a rebuke going on there. Um, but two questions. First of all, will it make any difference? But secondly, he, do you think he was trying to talk down the euro today? It didn't look like it. I think what he was trying to do was acknowledge that, look, we're, we're watching the euro, but at the same time, they're never going to do anything about it. And this is harking back, I think, very strongly to about at this time 10, 11 years ago when the euro was rallying against the dollar and Trichet would talk about volatility. We're getting a lot of that again. We had it in September from Draghi. We're getting it again. He, he managed to halt the euro rally then. I suspect, given the nature of the European economic cycle right now, it's going to be, and how much strength we continue to see coming out of Europe, it's going to be much more difficult to really do anything about it. As regards his comments to Mnuchin, very similar. There's not a lot he can do about it, that he's probably not going to be the one to push back most strongly. That's probably going to be China if it's going to be anyone. Is is the reason why he might not be pushing back because actually in in historic terms, you know, yes, the euro has rushed to 125 far faster than we thought. But are these at comfortable levels? I mean, just go through with me the euro, the yen, sterling this week, the the, the new levels they're reaching. Yes. How, how how logical, how comfortable should investors feel about those? On a fair value basis, the euro isn't rich. And that is down to, I think, a factor that gets underappreciated when we look at euro movements, which is the composition of the euro twi being increasingly dominated by, index, the, yeah. Yeah, by EM. Yeah. And EM has performed rather well this year against the dollar. So it's kind of kept pace with the euro. So the euro on that basis is not aggressively rich. It's certainly richer than it was, yeah. uh, given the dollar is still an important part of that trade-weighted index. But it's not where at levels on a trade-weighted basis that I think would make policymakers uncomfortable. The yen at 109, is, that's not that that high, is it? Not, not at all. I think yeah. the yen is still considered by our fair value models, as I think uh, most fair value models, to be about 5 to 10% cheap. Yeah. So, and that's a fairly consistent story. And, and people have not really wanted to, to buy into the yen as kind of a consensus view to start the year, which we actually quite do like it as a cyclical trade, but yeah. also from that valuation perspective that you want to consider when you, you're setting your longer term views, the yen still looks quite attractive. So I can see that, especially if U.S. rates remain well contained in the long end, yeah. I can see the yen performing relatively well. And the pound, 143. My God, I mean, it was only a few months ago that it was at the low 130s. Yeah, the pound is another one that is not rich by any means, but the valuation case to buy sterling is gone. Yeah, Yeah, that was the long term case you could easily have made at the start of last year, even at the start of this year. That case is a lot harder to make. And where I'm less 
uh, certain that the dollar will, will will stop falling about against the euro and yen. I think it might start to do a little bit better against sterling simply because the Bank of England has told us what they expect to do with policy rates over the next two to three years. And the market is priced for that now in short sterling. Yeah. So there's not a lot of room for upside unless the Bank of England starts to sound aggressively more hawkish. Now, they have been very quiet to start the year. And we haven't gotten a lot of guidance as to whether that might come at the February meeting when they would update their projections. But so far, you'd have to say that the market has listened to them and what they've said about rates, and they've accounted for that. So you do introduce, I think, the potential for disappointment. Now, against the dollar, that may not matter. Because sterling has looked unattractive on a lot of fundamental factors for a long time. And in the last couple of months, it hasn't mattered a whit simply because the dollar is going down. Uh, And more recently, you're now starting to get the more um, conciliatory soundings on Brexit negotiations. And that's going to help as well. But if if Brexit reverses, might might this kind of very high valuation and sterling suddenly start reversing quite quickly? It could do. But again, it's not – I wouldn't say it's rich. I think – it is priced for about as much good news in the short run as you can expect. In the long run, if this does become a very conciliatory negotiation process going forward, maybe you have upside. But even there, I think the euro still, to me, favors better in that scenario. Tim, the next phase in, in all of this, uh, I'm talking about Mnuchin and the trade battles. The next phase really is China, how it responds, doesn't it? The renminbi, wow, that's that's also getting very, very high. Are their options you know, quite wide or are they quite limited, China? In the near term, I think it's somewhat limited. I, I think the renminbi strength the, we've seen this year is, is quite calculated. It, it helps you, the US do what it's doing because it allows the renminbi to strengthen it against the dollar, which is sort of a monetary tightening for them. But it also allows them to, to maybe weaken the renminbi against other components of its basket to allow for a very stable uh, renminbi overall. And so it doesn't necessarily, I don't think the Chinese will necessarily push back aggressively, not yet at least. Now, if you start to see the trade rhetoric around maybe potentially tariffs uh, or, or fines or pursuing intellectual property cases, if that starts to ramp up, then I think you might start to see some pushback. I, even there, though, I think they have to be a little bit careful, particularly as regards the currency. I think 2015 was very much a learning experience in the way that the, the room be devalued and then what that led to as far as capital flight and how difficult that was to curtail and how long that took and how reserves were drawn down in that process. I suspect they don't want to see a repeat of that. But their language around treasuries, whether it was you know just rumored or, or, or real over the last couple of weeks, I think plays into this scenario where um, the dollar, they want to see the dollar lessen as a, as, as a reserve currency, the renminbi to become a bit more a part of the international monetary system. And I think that means strength against the dollar. And that can help play into these Mnuchin scenarios we're talking about. On all that, hanging on all every word of China are emerging markets and their currencies. For the moment, they look like they're holding their own and perfectly enjoying this 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 dollar weakness. Um, but and there's a big but. Yeah, and I think there a lot is to do with China and how not just on the currency side, but how they clamp down on the domestic lending channels as they have done. That has been a huge driver of local economic performance, of course, within the region, but then also of of the EM asset complex. It's very aligned to how, say, EM equities perform on a lagged basis. And so if that all starts to unravel, then, then those assets have problems. But for the near term, you've had EM currency strength over the last year, which helps to to 
chip away at the inflation problems a lot of emerging markets have had in the past. That's reduced as a factor. Therefore, you continue to see strong EM fixed income inflows, which help to sustain the currency. And you have kind of this virtuous cycle. That I don't think goes away as a consequence of what's going on until and unless you do get some pushback maybe. from. Okay. from uh, just finally, Tim, uh, we're next for currencies. We rushed to $1.25 for euro dollar, far faster than we thought we'd get to. So can we be rushing to one thirty in a pretty quick order? Currencies overshoot. That's the sort of classical way of looking at them. And, and we're in an environment where momentum is backed by relatively low volatility. We're seeing it rise in currencies a little bit in recent weeks, but it's still very low by historic norms. Correlations continue to be quite low across and within markets. That's also, for us, kind of a, a harbinger of continued momentum in existing tr- trends. And so that speaks to euro higher against the dollar and potentially in very rapid fashion because you do have the sense that valuation isn't yet a constraint. Mm. My thanks to Tim Graff of State Street. Who knows how big next week's moves in currencies will be, but be sure to join us when we examine them in hard currency. Until then, it's goodbye. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.